Good morning. All right, we're going to try this again. I'm all in. Are you all in? Good. We're getting there. Pretty smattering of iterations of that. That's good. You know, one of my responsibilities as a minister is officiating weddings, and I love being a part of weddings. I love as a minister that I get to be a part of three monumental pieces of a person's life, the birth of their child, wedding, and then, of course, the funeral, the death. Uh, I, I relish that. I, I love that opportunity. And I love to join a couple in the holy estate of matrimony. And at any wedding, you will see the father walk the bride down the aisle, his daughter. They'll come to the front of the church or whatever you know, venue is hosting the wedding. And I will ask a question of the father. I'll say, who gives the bride in marriage? And she will say, or he will say, her mother and I. And so he turns and kisses her on the cheek and hands her off to the groom. And he goes and sits down. And, and sadly, at that point, we're done with him. He, he has no more part in this. He goes and sits down. Symbolically, he handed his daughter off to her new husband. And it symbolizes that leaving and cleaving that God talks about in Genesis. And so the couple stands in front of me with this goofy look on their faces, and I go through the whole ceremony. We exchange the rings. We exchange vows. He kisses the bride. And then at the end, it culminates in them facing the crowd and me saying to the audience, I now present to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Whoever. Now, what that symbolizes is the bride has transferred identities. She's the same person. That hadn't changed, but her identity has changed in a way. She is now connected to her husband. He's connected to her, right? And so there has been a transfer of identities. Is that not what happens when we become a Christian? We transfer our identity. I mean, baptism is a wedding ceremony, isn't it? When you become a child of God, you depart that old sinful self, you leave that person behind, you transfer your allegiance to the one true God, you determine to follow Jesus Christ, you're married to him now, so that means when that old sinful self rears its ugly head, you say, no, 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 you're not in charge of me, you're not the boss of me, see my ring, see who I'm attached to now, I'm married, you don't have any ownership over me any longer. Now, all that's fine and good, and I doubt any of you take issue with anything I just said. The problem's not knowing it. The problem's doing it. All of us know certain things that we should be doing, but actually doing them is where the rub comes in. How do I remain a child of God and true to my marriage with Jesus Christ when I feel like a failure most of the time? That's the realm that we are operating in. And just so we're clear, this sermon and this series is not for those who are A-plus Christians, okay? It's not even for those who think they're C-plus. This series, this sermon this morning is for those who couldn't even get to church without sinning. The people who feel like that they can't even get up out of bed without first sinning. This is a sermon and a series for those people who are sitting on two strikes and they're fouling off the third one. So this isn't for those who are, who are batting a thousand spiritually. Understand that, okay? And I think that really encompasses pretty much all of us, right? All of us 
feel like we're fouling off strike three. When we're talking about what it means to be a better Christian in the new year, growing and maturing in Christ, when we're talking about what it means to get rid of bad habits and take on good habits, we're talking about identity, not just outcomes. Two people are offered a cigarette. Think about this. Two people are offered a cigarette. The first person says, no, thank you. I'm trying to quit, which is a noble thing indeed to turn down the cigarette. However, what do we find out about that person in their response? We find out that they identify as a smoker still. No, thank you. I'm trying to quit. The second person says, no, thank you. I'm not a smoker. Well, what do we find out about that person? We find out that they're not identifying themselves as a smoker. Maybe they used to be. Maybe they smoked a pack a day. Maybe they smoked a carton a week. But for whatever reason, they they decided that they were going to stop. And they don't consider themselves a smoker any longer. Look, it's good to have a goal. It's good to have certain outcomes in mind that you want to achieve. But at the end of the day, we start with who you are, not with what you want to do. We don't start with activity. We start with who you want to be. Like we discussed last week, it's good to have a goal, but goals are pretty worthless if you don't have a system for reaching them. Outcomes are about what you get. Identity is about what you believe. Instead of focusing on what you want to achieve, focus first on what you want to become. Look at it this way. I mentioned this last week. Great book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, I'd recommend it to anyone. Understand it's not a spiritual book. But you can take a lot of these things that you learn from the book and apply it. And that's what we're kind of doing with some things in this series. And this is his three layers of behavior change. So on the outside layer, you have outcomes. The middle ring, you have processes. And at the very middle, you have identity. Outcomes are concerned with changing results. Losing weight, winning a conference championship, writing a book, Whatever your goal may be, outcomes is what you're trying to achieve. It's the goal-setting level. Then you have processes, which is your system that you put in place in order to achieve the outcome that you want. For example, getting into the routine of going to the gym every day after work or developing the habit of reading so many chapters in your Bible every day so that you can get through the Bible in a year. Then you have the identity level. This is about changing your beliefs. This is how you see the world. This is your worldview. How you view the world, how you view you, how you see others. Most of our beliefs, our assumptions, our prejudices, our bias, they're all formed or found at this level. So, to summarize, outcomes is what you get. Processes are about what you do. And identity is about what you believe. And when it comes to real change that leads to spiritual growth and maturation, then we must address the latter. If we truly want to change who we are at our core, then rather than starting with what we should do, we need to start with what we want to be. Look with me in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is what we should all be striving for. This is the goal, to have more of Jesus expressed through less of me. That should be the goal, to be more like Jesus, to have him living in me. How do we get there? 
Well, not by focusing on what we want to achieve, but rather by focusing on who we want to become. You know, as a coach, I didn't focus on winning or losing. We didn't talk too much about winning or losing. That may sound strange to you, but I didn't believe that wins and losses were a good metric. I still don't believe that. I believe that we need to be defined by something bigger as a team, and so we didn't concentrate on wins and losses as our determinant for success. Because as a coach, you can win games that you feel like you should have lost. There were many nights that I didn't sleep well even though we won a game because I knew we didn't have any business winning that game. We didn't play well. The other team just played worse. But there were also times where I felt like we should have won a game and we played well enough to win and I was happy. I was thankful that our team played well and I felt like we could build on that. One year we started the year on like a a seven-game win streak. We were ranked all year number two in the state and we never talked about it. We didn't talk about the win streak. We didn't talk about what it would mean to go undefeated. We didn't talk about what it meant to be number two in the state. We just didn't talk about it because it was never our goal to be undefeated. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to win every game. But, you know, when you play 30 games, to go undefeated is a rarity. There's a lot of things that have to happen and fall your way. There's a lot of luck involved. And also, I mean, sometimes it's good to lose. I mean, every now and then, it's good to lose a couple of games to kind of bring you back down to earth and to humble you a little bit. And so we didn't focus on wins and losses as the determining factor for our success. What we focused on were three things, playing hard, limiting turnovers, and getting better every day. Because here's the deal, hustle never has a bad day. Doesn't take talent to hustle. You can play hard every single game, every single day. And the team that makes the fewest mistakes usually wins at every level. I don't care if you're talking about five-year-olds all the way up to the NBA. The team that makes the fewest mistakes is usually the team that comes out on top. And every day is an opportunity to get better, to stay the same, or to get worse. So take advantage of every opportunity that you have to get better. Seize the day and get better. But wins and losses are not a true indication of who you are. You may play hard, you may work hard, you may give it your all and still lose, and that stinks. But you may have learned something in the process. My most favorite year of playing sports was my senior year. We lost every game. We were close in a lot of them. We felt like we should have won several of them, maybe even half of them, but we lost every one of them. But that was still the most fun I've ever had, playing sports. And there's something to be learned from losing. Sometimes there's something to be learned by getting taken out behind the woodshed, right? And getting, getting beat like a drum. But the things that I'm talking about apply to life as well. Play hard, limit turnovers, get better. We tend to judge ourselves by wins and losses. That's our metric. That's our identity. And more times than not, we feel like losers. We're constantly fumbling the ball, and so we live life defeated. Instead of focusing on outcomes, let's focus on identity. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So, here's what we often do as Christians. We focus intently on outcomes. We are an outcomes-driven people. You don't believe me? Consider how we often view Christianity. You follow the rules, you get to go to heaven. Do this, you make God happy. Do this, and you make God mad. Say your prayers, read your Bible, come to church more, share the gospel, and you won't go to hell. This is how many think of Christianity. This is how many view their relationship with God. Do right or else. Get right or get left. And please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying in any way, shape, or form that following the rules is not important. That's vital. Obedience is vital. That is brought out in Scripture over and over again. But if those things are your only focus at the expense of all else, then you're missing something. And I can prove that biblically. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, some people said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name? In other words, we did all these religious things, and Jesus says what to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. Thus showing that it's the relationship that's most important. And if you have the right relationship, if your identity is true, it's going to affect how you act. It's going to determine what you do. So, here's the deal. This is not just about being a good little productive Christian so that God doesn't turn you into a french fry. This is about being and not so much doing. You know, one of the biggest struggles that I see Christians deal with is assurance. By far, if someone were to ask me, Chris, as a minister, what do you think is the biggest problem that Christians wrestle with? Well, what I've seen over 20 plus years in ministry, without a doubt, is assurance. How can I know if I'm saved? I hear it over and over again from Christians. I hope I've done enough. I just hope that God lets me into heaven. I hope I've done enough. You see it so often when you're sitting at the bedside of someone who's about to leave this earth, who's about to pass away, and they say something like, Chris, I just hope I've done enough. I just hope that God has forgiven me. Assurance is one of the biggest challenges to Christians. And unfortunately, no matter what I say or how I try to frame it, it's still a problem that they wrestle with. We struggle because we're so outcomes-focused. And maybe you need to do more. Maybe you're a lazy Christian. Maybe you're a pew potato that needs to get up and do something. But at the end of the day, that's not where it starts. 
It doesn't start with having better self-control or doing more things. It starts with your identity. It starts with who you are at your core. Or as Jesus put it in John chapter 15, it's about abiding. And if we're not careful, we read John chapter 15 and we place people in one of two categories. You're either a pruned branch or a dead branch. Pruned branches go to heaven. Dead branches go to hell. We anger God by being unproductive. We get on God's good side by being productive. If I do good, I get a mansion, a robe, and a crown. If I don't do good, I get charbroiled for all eternity. But the problem with this is that Jesus is speaking about something deeper. He's talking about something that goes beyond just the surface level. He's not just addressing live branches versus dead branches. This isn't just about doing all the right things so that God smiles and pats you on the head and says, good job. Jesus isn't just talking about productivity because productivity is just about transactions. So it's got to be about more than that. It's about not just being busy because you can be as productive as you want to be and still never really accomplish something. What our Lord is getting at in John 15 is connectivity. He's focusing on relationship and intimacy and identity, not just production. Read with me a little further, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name may be given to you. This I command you, that you love one another. This is not about production. This is about abiding. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that production is worthless. I'm not saying that production doesn't matter. Far from it. I'm just saying that's not where it starts. Everything is unimportant without a relationship with Jesus. Our Lord is offering an invitation in John chapter 15. Abide in me, I will abide in you. Because that's where our productivity as a Christian begins. It begins in relationship. It's about who you identify with. This may shock you, but right before John 15 comes John 14. And in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus' words are in the context of oneness. He's speaking about abiding. He abides in God, God abides in him. He's pointing to identity, abiding with God, God abiding with him. The Son and the Father are one. So once again, there's this, there's this identity theme. It's all about connection. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. It's not just about being a rule follower because following the rules just modifies behavior. That's all it does. You can be a rule follower, and that's fine and good, but rules just modify behavior. There are plenty of people in our culture who follow the rules. They don't care anything about God or Jesus. There are people who follow the rules of the land because they don't want to get a fine. They don't want to go to jail. There are even atheists who follow rules because they think it's the moral thing to do. They don't care anything about God or Jesus. So you can't just focus in on rule following or outcomes. It's about more than that. You do all the right things, you believe all the right things, and you say all the right things because of the relationship that you have with Jesus. Otherwise, you're dead wrong. Here's what I think Jesus is driving at. Your behavior is a reflection of your identity. What you do is an indication of the type of person you are. Now granted, not always. All of us have acted out of character and done something really dumb at times. But by and large, 
who you are will reflect in what you do. Who we are determines what actions we take. It's not just about what's on the outside. It's not just about rule following. It's about what's at our core. It reminds me of the story I read many years ago about Adele Gabori. She was an elderly woman that lived in Worcester, Massachusetts. Maybe you read this story, but Adele uh, was... uh, her neighbors were concerned about her because they hadn't seen her in quite some time, hadn't heard from her in quite some time. And so they call the police. The police is able to get a hold of her brother who tells them that, you know, everything's fine. She's away in a nursing home. And so that was good enough. The neighbors decided to keep an eye on, their, on, on Adele's place, you know, mow the yard. Uh, when they saw a pipe that was leaking, they turned off the water to her house. They made sure that they stopped the mail from being delivered and piling up in her mailbox. But after some time... The police got to looking at the house, and there seemed to be a potential hazard, and so they went in and checked it out to find that Adele was inside. She had been living there for the last four years. Well, actually, she had died. She had been in there, deceased, for quite some time. Everything looked fine on the outside. If only somebody would have gone in and checked. All appearances on the outside were being kept up while there was deadness On the inside, what we produce on the outside stems from what's on the inside. Or we might say it this way, what we produce on the outside stems from who is running us on the inside. Who is in charge of your heart? You've heard me say it before, the root determines the fruit. We can keep up all appearances on the outside, but it means nothing if we are dead on the inside. In fact, Jesus talks about that with the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, he says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus says productivity alone just doesn't cut it. You can do all the right things outwardly. You can keep up appearances. But what difference does it make if you're dead on the inside? Who's running your life? Who's in charge of your heart? Who's the boss of your life? Start there. Start with your identity. Start there instead of with productivity. And then notice again verses 5 and 6 of John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burnt. How annoying is this message? I get this message quite often, either on my phone or I get a similar message, says the same thing on my TV. I have streaming TV. And this message never pops up until I want to watch the big game. I never see this message on my phone until I'm trying to look up something important. It seems to know when I'm really needing to watch something or look up something. It's highly frustrating. It means that you are not connected to the internet. You're not connected to Wi-Fi. it's, It's so frustrating to see a message like this. But in a spiritual sense, it's devastating. To have no connection? Jesus says good connection, good fruit. Bad connection, bad fruit. As long as you and I live on the vine, we're going to produce quality fruit. Our branch dies and our fruit shrivels up when we lose our connection. Now again, don't assume that what Jesus is saying here is that I'm just going to hell if I mess up. The two categories, right? Prude branches go to heaven, dead branches go to hell. That's true. Okay? 
That's true. That's, that's a point that he is making. But he's going beyond that to say that it's not just about producing good fruit. It starts with the relationship. Because as soon as you pluck a fruit from its vine or its tree, it begins to die. It starts to rot the moment that you pluck it from the source of life. You may not see it right away, but that process has already begun. As soon as you pluck the fruit from its vine or its tree, it's going to begin the process of rotting and decaying. And the same is true with us. It's just a natural byproduct of being attached to the vine, that you will grow, that you will mature into ripe fruit. But it starts to die the moment you detach from the vine. Our connection is what gives us life. Abiding in the Lord is what makes us effective and useful servants. So I encourage you to stop focusing so heavily on doing and start focusing on being. Let your identity fuel your behavior. If you want to grow and mature as a Christian, don't start with doing more, although that may be something you need to do. Don't start with doing more. Start with being more. Focus in on the identity and let that affect everything you do. Remember in the Garden of Eden where Satan slithered up to Eve and convinced her to partake of the forbidden fruit? Do you remember the lie that he told her, that he sold her on? The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You know, identity theft is not a new problem. It's been around since the beginning of time. The first couple dealt with it. That's what Satan is doing. He's challenging Eve's identity. And he's saying that God is jealous. God doesn't want you to eat of that forbidden tree because he knows that as soon as you eat it, you'll be like him. And and he doesn't want you to be like him. That wasn't true. That's exactly what God wanted for Eve and Adam, to be like him. That's what he wanted. He wanted them to be a mirror in the world. They were stamped in his image. Of course he wanted them to be like him. He said, let us make man in our image. But she let the voice of the devil be the loudest in her life. And she allowed Satan to steal her identity. In other words, Satan came up to Eve and asked, where's your ID? And she showed him. And the devil tried to convince her that it wasn't valid. And it worked. I mean... He gave her a new ID, and Eve and Adam quickly realized it was a fake ID, and that it no longer granted them access to the garden. The connection was broken. The relationship was damaged. So I want to ask you this morning, I want to leave you with this question, where is your ID? And hopefully it's not in your purse or your wallet or your front pocket. Where's your ID? It's in Christ. Start there. And if we can help you this morning, if you feel like your ID is not valid, let us help you. Let us pray with you. Let us help you get on track. If you're ready to put on Christ and, and, and be married to Him in that wedding ceremony of baptism, if you're ready to do that, then certainly we want to take care of that as well. Whatever your need is, Don is going to lead us in a, in a song. If we can help you, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?